0: I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Let's begin by going to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, today as we come to this part of our service, as we open up your word, Lord, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, we pray that you would write its eternal truth on all our hearts this morning, Lord. Lord, as we focus on today, our focus is, is preparation, preparing the way of the Lord. Lord, prepare us to go out and prepare others to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have come. You came to deliver us from our sins, and you are coming again to take us into your eternal kingdom. So, Lord, let us be faithful to prepare the way for your next coming. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today is, uh, is the second Sunday of Advent, and as we saw earlier, today's focus is it focuses on preparation. Prepare the way of the Lord. Now, for those of us who've been churchgoers most of our lives, that that phrase, prepare the way of the Lord, when we hear that, oftentimes we think of John the Baptist, because according to the Gospels, John the Baptist was the fulfillment of that phrase. He was the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And so John was the forerunner of Christ who came to prepare the way of the Lord. But, but that responsibility wasn't just John's responsibility. In fact, God called prophets before him, like Isaiah, the text we'll be in this morning. God called Isaiah to begin to prepare the way of the Lord by proclaiming the good news of the coming Messiah. And then it was passed down to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist did his part, and now it has been passed down to all of us as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. We are called to prepare the way of the Lord, because just as Jesus Christ came in John's day to bring salvation to God's people, we know that he is coming yet again. We celebrate christmas time we celebrate the first advent when jesus came as a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes laid in a manger he came to sacrifice himself to suffer and die for our sins but when he comes again he will come as the mighty king to rule and reign over god's eternal kingdom and we must prepare the way of the lord and so today is our focus that is our focus and today we are looking at and isaiah chapter 40 verses 1 through 11 and in this passage in this text we see that we must prepare the way of the lord by broadly and boldly proclaiming the good news of god's eternal salvation from sin through the incarnation of jesus christ i know that's a lot but it's all right here in the text, so we got to, I had to make it a lot. But let me say it again. Prepare the way of the Lord by broadly and boldly proclaiming the good news of God's eternal salvation from sin through the incarnation of Christ Jesus. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40 isaiah chapter 40 we'll be focusing in on verses 1 through 11 this morning the first half of isaiah 40 isaiah 40 1 through 11 and if you don't have a bible of your own you can grab one of the pew bibles there and it's page 561 in the pew bible page 561 in the pew bible and if you don't own a bible then uh, we encourage you to take that bible with you that's our gift to you today we want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, so take that and, and use it. It will certainly bless your life. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Isaiah 40 actually marks, just kind of lay some of the context here that, uh, of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 marks the, the turning point in the book of Isaiah. And so Isaiah chapter 1 through chapter 39 it kind of lays the foundation. And actually chapter 39 ends with, this, uh, with the, the declaration of God's coming judgment upon Israel. So 31, or 39 especially talks about God's coming judgment. God, God was, was telling them there's a day of judgment coming because of Israel's rebellion, because of Jerusalem and Judea's rebellion against God, because of their idolatry. There was a day of judgment coming upon Jerusalem. And even in Isaiah's day, he was already preparing them for that day of judgment. We talked about it last week, and all the kings that uh, Isaiah served under, he prophesied in their, their time of reign, and it ended with Hezekiah, and Hezekiah was one of the good kings, and likely this prophecy of Isaiah came during the time of Hezekiah. And so, in fact, we, we read the story of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, he got sick, and then he got better, God healed him and allowed him to, to live a little bit longer, and and there were some guys from Babylon who came to, you know, wish him well, hey, good news, I heard you're, you're healed, you're feeling better, great, and Hezekiah went through, and he showed him all that he had, all of his treasuries and everything, and because of his pride and his arrogance, God began to pronounce upon Judea the coming exile, the coming judgment of God upon Judea and Jerusalem. And so this prophecy is coming during that time period. And so that's set the stage. But, but now God doesn't want them to, to be downcast completely, right? Judgment is coming, but down in chapter 40, God says, but here's the good news. There's the bad news. Judgment is coming, but here's the good news. And so we get the good news today in Isaiah chapter 40. And so we, we began with that. He calls Isaiah here in chapter 40 to to comfort the people of Israel and to give them a message not of judgment but a message of salvation. Salvation is to come. Yes, you're going into judgment, but don't worry. I'm coming to save you, God says. So with this understanding, I want us to start then and uh, actually in, in verse 9 of Isaiah 40. Because verse 9 actually gives us kind of the, the meat of the text of what we're supposed to do with this. It's our call as Christians. It's our call as God's people of what to do so uh, the rest of the the chapter the rest of these verses verses 1 through 8 and then 10 through 11 they they give us the message of salvation but verse 9 gives us the mission of God's covenant people so I want to start there and look at our mission and then we'll look at our message so notice in verse 9 he says go on up go on up to a high mountain O Zion herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. And so here we have the mission of God's people. Go up, go up, declare, herald the good news. Lift your voices with strength, Lift their voices, not in fear, right? With, with courage, with boldness. So here we see our mission as God's people. It was given to Isaiah. It was passed down to other prophets. It was passed down to John the Baptist. And now it's passed down to us. This is our message. This is what we are to do as God's people. We are to prepare the way of the Lord by proclaiming the good news. Good news. There's bad news. Judgment is coming, but there's also good news. God brings us good news, so we're to proclaim good news. And not only are we to proclaim the good news that God has given us, the good news of God's salvation, but we're to proclaim the good news broadly. He says, go up, go on up to a high mountain. Go on up to a high mountain. Now, I used to turkey hunt when I lived up in central Arkansas. I loved to turkey hunt in the Washita Mountains there. We live right there in the midst of them. I love to go out to the Ouachita Mountains and turkey hunt. And early in the morning, you had to get there early before daylight, and I would go out upon, on a ridge, and I would listen for the turkey, right? Because early in the morning, when that, that gobbler, when he gets up and he starts loosening those feathers up, he gobbles on the, on the limb, right? When he's still on the roost, he, he lets out a gobble, and that's to let the other turkeys, especially the hens, to know that he, he's there. And so he would gobble up there on top of that ridge. And, and you could hear him gobble for miles around as long as he was up there on top of the ridge on that limb. You could hear him gobble forever. In fact, sometimes it was kind of difficult because I'd be on this ridge. And he'd be two ridges over gobbling. And he sounded like he was right next to me. See? And, and that's the way it is when you're up on top of the mountain. And, and you're shouting out the message people all around could hear you now when he went down in the valley then he i couldn't hear him anymore but up there on the ridge on top of the mountain oh you could hear him for miles around and that's what isaiah is saying that's what god is saying in this prophecy he's saying go up on the high mountain where the people can hear you where, where all the people can hear you and proclaim the good news we are to proclaim the good news broadly for all the world to hear we're to proclaim the good news broadly but not only are we to proclaim the good news broadly we're to proclaim the good news with uh, boldly we're to proclaim the good news boldly lift it up, lift up your voice lift up the, the good news fear not fear not don't proclaim it in fear it's not like hey, hey, here's the good news no Good news! God's salvation is coming! We're to proclaim it boldly, even in the face of rejection, even in the face of persecution, even in the face of trials and tribulations. God's people are to proclaim the the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, broadly to all who will listen and boldly without fear. So that's our task. That's our mission And Jesus calls us to that same mission, right? As disciples of all nations. Go make disciples of all nations, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. In other words, uh, he he gives us the boldness because he is with us. So we are to proclaim the good news broadly and boldly. So with that in mind, with our mission in mind, then let's look at the, the good news itself. The good news that we are to proclaim, let's begin to look at that. Now, we see here in Isaiah, as he prophesies this, Isaiah reveals four major points that frame God's good news of salvation. We see that in the four stanzas here in our text. First, we begin broadly and boldly proclaim the good news of God's salvation from sin. He begins focusing in on the sin. It's not just salvation from uh, our worldly ills, although that's a part of it, but He is coming to save us from our sin, from our iniquity. Look there in the first couple of verses. He says, comfort, comfort my people. Now using that word, comfort, comfort, repeating that, God's bringing in. Here's the important part. I want you to comfort them. Isaiah, go comfort, comfort my people. This is important. This is not a message of judgment. This is not a message of condemnation. Oh, don't talk down to them. Don't talk harshly to them, Isaiah. Comfort them. You've them, uh, You've given them bad news. Now I want you to go and comfort them. Comfort them. Care for them. Comfort them. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Now some translations translate that word tenderly different ways. and the Hebrew, it's literally speak to their hearts. Speak to their hearts. Speak to her heart. My bride, my precious jewel, Jerusalem, speak to her heart, Isaiah. Speak tenderly to her. I love her. I care for her. Yes, judgments are coming, but I love Jerusalem. I love my people. Speak tenderly to her and comfort her as she goes into the days of judgment ahead speak to her comfort her encourage her and cry to her that her warfare is ended her warfare now warfare is used here as kind of an illustration or kind of as a, a image of distress because you go through warfare as they were looking at judgment coming their city would be besieged by Babylon. Warfare for them meant distress. It meant anxiety. It meant hardships that were coming. And so he, he says to Isaiah, go, come, my people, speak tenderly to my bride and tell her that her warfare, her rest- distress is ended. Now it wasn't even started yet, but God says it's ended. And God's purview and his view from eternity, he says, it's ended. Yes, it's coming. Yes, it's gonna be it's gonna be completed, but but I've already provided the way to end it. It's already ended in God's view. It is ended. Her distress is ended. Now why was she in distress? That her iniquity is pardoned. You see. The stress that Jerusalem would face was because of her iniquity. Because of her sin and her rebellion against her covenant God. When Moses talked to the people, the people of Israel entered into a covenant with the Lord their God. You will be our God. We will be your people. They broke that covenant and they chased after other gods and because of their sin because of their iniquity because of their rejection of God God says judgment is coming but now he says comfort them Isaiah let them know their distress because of their sin it's ended and their iniquity their sin is pardoned now that word pardon the Hebrew term behind the word pardon in the English text. And again, some English texts say different things. They translate it a little bit different, but it means to 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 take up, to carry away, or to pay for. Right? It's not there anymore because it's been paid for. It's been redeemed you have been redeemed from your iniquity that's what he's saying to them let her know let my 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 bride know that her warfare is ended her sin has been redeemed it's been paid for I've taken care of it that she has received from the Lord's hand from Yahweh's hand double for all her sins in other words it's been doubly taken care of God says, I've taken care of, I have redeemed Israel from her sins and there is nothing left to pay. Her iniquity has been paid for and there's nothing left. Nothing left. Comfort her, Isaiah. Comfort her, God says, because I've paid for her sins. I've redeemed her from her sins. And all of this is by God's grace. It's all by God's grace. It wasn't because Israel earned it. It wasn't because Jerusalem earned it. It's not because of something that Jerusalem would do. It's not because of something God's people would do. That she has received it from the Lord's hand. You see, it's all by God's grace. It's all by God's grace. God would remove their distress. He would redeem them from their sins. All by His grace as a gift. It's all by God's grace. So Isaiah, he says, Isaiah is to proclaim the good news broadly and boldly. The good news of God's salvation from sin. You know, Israel provides a picture of our condition. Israel was just, they're a model for actually all of our condition. Because we are in distress, are we not? All of creation lives in distress, Romans chapter 8, verse 22 says. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now because of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God in the garden. That was the first covenant, right? And so because of their rebellion against God in the garden, all of humanity is under the condemnation of God. All of humanity has fallen into sin. All of us are groaning. All of creation is groaning because we are in distress because of our sin and our rebellion against God. And the good news comes to us. It's not just for Jerusalem. It's not just for Israel. It's for all who would trust in God. God says, here's the good news. Your distress, friend, has ended. God has redeemed you from your sins. God provides the way of salvation. Yes, you have sinned, but God has provided a way of redemption. Romans three twenty three and 24 tells us the good news by saying it like this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, there's the good news. Yes, we are sinners. and Yes, we deserve the condemnation of God. But God has delivered us from that condemnation. He has delivered us from our distress. By sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us, to pay the penalty for us in our place. Church, we have the good news of God's salvation from sin. Therefore, prepare the way of the Lord. Broadly and boldly proclaim the good news of God's salvation from sin. who do you know who's living in sin? Who do you know who is under the full condemnation from God because they have never trusted in Jesus Christ? Right now, someone has just popped into your mind. Make a commitment this week. Broadly and boldly, go tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Broadly and boldly, we're to broadly and broadly proclaim the good news of God's salvation from sin. But as we move on, then, second, we're to, we must broadly and boldly proclaim the good news of God's salvation through the Lord's, that is, through Yahweh's incarnation. As we continue on in the next next li- uh, few lines there, the next stanza, starting in verse 3, a voice cries. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And you know, the Lord, when it's in all caps, that's the the proper name or the personal name of the Lord, the covenantal name for the Lord. We might say Yahweh. In the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a, a way for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. And every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord, the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make, the, make the, 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 His way straight in the wilderness. What does He mean by that? You know, I was, I'm from Arkansas, right? And so I remember back a long time ago now that when President Bill Clinton, when Bill Clinton was president, and of course, Bill Clinton is an Arkansan, and so he did come to Arkansas occasionally, uh, even as president. And I can remember, we lived in Warren at that time, and I can remember one time, President Bill Clinton came, not just to Warren, he came to Hermitage, Arkansas. Anybody know where Hermitage, Arkansas is? There's a few people that knows where Hermitage, Arkansas is. Hermitage, Arkansas makes Warren, Arkansas look like a metropolis. All right? It's just a little hole in the, in the county there. It's just a little spot on the, the map. Uh, I think they've got one stop sign, and I, I don't even think it's a four-way stop anymore. And, and, and so it's just a small place. And, but President Bill Clinton was coming to Hermitage, Arkansas, and he was going to speak at a tomato shed in Her, uh, Hermitage, Arkansas. Now, of course, everybody knew this months and months ahead, because that's how presidents do They have to plan months and months ahead. There's lots of work to be done. Well, when, when he came to Hermitage, Arkansas, Months and months ahead, they prepared the way for President Bill Clinton. First, he he landed, he had to land at the Warren Airport. Now the Warren Airport is kind of like the Bastrop airport. It's an airstrip and there's a, a few personal hangars there and that's it. And so they had to prepare the Warren Airport. And I don't know, James knows this, but and I'm sure most of y'all, everybody else understands this as well. When you're landing a few Cessnas on the airstrip, it doesn't take much airstrip to land a Cessna, but it takes a little bit more to land Air Force One. And so when they prepared the way for President Bill Clinton, they had to come and repave the worn airstrip. And not only did they have to repave the worn airstrip, they had to make it a little bit longer so that Air Force One could land in, on the Warren airstrip, they prepared the way for President Bill Clinton. Not only did they prepare the way by paving, giving new, a new pavement job to the airport airstrip, but they also prepared the way by preparing the, 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 the road from the Warren airport all the way down to Hermitage. I mean, they prettied it up. They picked up all the trash. They covered every pothole. They made every pothole as smooth as they possibly could. Uh, There wasn't an ounce of litter on the way. They trimmed trees along the way. I mean, that was the prettiest. That strip of, of road has ever looked, ever, right? They prepared the way. Not only that, that tomato shed that he spoke in, I mean, they dolled it up. They made it look good for President Bill Clinton. They prepare the way and that's what he's saying prepare the way for the Lord make his path straight the Lord is coming so prepare his way I mean this is the Lord God Almighty coming well you need to get out and you need to prepare his way don't don't just sit on your hands don't just wait for him to show up prepare the way get busy get to work get things ready for the Lord's coming he's coming folks we need to prepare the way and how do we prepare the way and look notice here that the we're preparing the way for the the glory of the lord to be revealed that's what he says and the glory of the lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together now this is amazing proclamation this is an absolutely amazing proclamation. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. Why is that so amazing? Because if you go back to Exodus chapter 23, or no, excuse me, Exodus chapter 33, and verses 18 through 20, you see here Moses, the premier prophet, right, the, the one that... That he was unlike all the other prophets. God spoke to the other prophets through dreams and visions and that sort of thing. But he spoke to Moses face to face. But look look here what it says in Exodus chapter 23, verses 18 through 20. Moses, he makes a request of, of the Lord. He says, please, please show me your glory. And the Lord says to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, that is Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he says, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Now that's what he tells Moses. In Isaiah he says... And the glory of Yahweh shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see him together. Nobody can see my face and live, but now the glory of the Lord is coming, and it's going to be revealed. How is that so? John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So this is God. The Word that John is talking about, this is God. This is one of the persons of God. He was with God and He was God. All things were created through Him. There was nothing that was made that was not made through the Word. And in verse 13, 14, John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus says of Himself in John fourteen nine, Whoever has seen Me has seen the Father see, here in the first advent, the glory of the Lord was revealed when Christ took on human flesh in order to deliver us from our sin and our shame. Yet there is a second advent still yet to come. A second revealing still yet to come. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. They're coming another day that the glory of the Lord is revealed. Man, this is an amazing thing. No one shall see the glory of the Lord. No one should see the face of the Lord and live. Yet Jesus came and He revealed the glory of the Lord so that we might see the glory of the Lord. In and through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The second person of the Trinity. Amazing. He took on human flesh. He humbled Himself and took on human flesh and came to this world to to live and breathe and to live in perfect obedience to His Father's will. He did all of that to reveal the glory of the Lord so that we might have the Lord dwell even with us. Amazing. See, God's not just saving His people from their sins. It's the way that God saves us from our sins. He doesn't just rubber stamp it. No, He comes in human flesh. He becomes like one of us. He lives for us and He dies for us. So that we might know Him and know His glory, even in our own lives. God came to save us from our sin through the incarnation by becoming human. God saves us from our sins. And because of that, we can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus. Amazing. Amazing. Oh, what good news. The Lord has revealed himself to all flesh and will reveal himself even fully to all flesh because Philippians tells us, Philippians chapter 2 tells us that one day when he returns, and when he returns the second time in all of his glory, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, dear Christian, broadly and boldly proclaim the good news of God's salvation through the Lord's incarnation. Through the Yahweh's incarnation, God took on human flesh to deliver us from our sin and to be with us. Who do you know who looks for love in all the wrong places? who chases after love in this person and that person and this thing and that thing, that search for love is just searching for a love that is never-ending. It's a search for God's love. This week, proclaim to them the good news of God's love. Jesus Christ came, stepped off of His heavenly throne, came to this world, To be with you, to be with that person. Share the good news of the incarnation with that person this week. Broadly and boldly proclaim the good news of God's salvation from sin that came through his incarnation. And third, broadly and boldly proclaim the good news of God's eternal salvation. Broadly and boldly proclaim the good news of God's eternal salvation. Look here in the next stanza, verses six through eight. First, let's start with six and seven. And and a voice, a voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field, the grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. This section here reminds us of our own own mortality, doesn't it? That's what he's saying. We're mortal. We're here for a moment and and then we're gone. Life is like that. It's just a, a tiny dot on the page. We're mortal. We know that there's, there's, there's two things that are sure, right? Taxes and death. That we all got that. Those two things are sure. Death is coming. If, if the Lord doesn't return, we're all going to experience death. We're all going to come to that day of death. We are mortal. In this life, we are mortal. And we have to struggle with that. We've got to think through that. But... As he goes on, he shows us that God's immortal promise overcomes our own mortality. Notice what he says in verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The word of our God will stand forever. God's immortal promise eternal promise overcomes our own mortality. I love how First Corinthians puts it. Paul in First Corinthians says, First Corinthians chapter 15, or chapter 15, verse 50, I tell you, this brother's flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does this perishable, this perishable body, inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality and when this perishable puts on the imperishable and when the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is law but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ? Paul saying, God's promise, His eternal, imperishable promise, overcomes our own mortality. Peter affirms this, Peter in First Peter chapter one. I'll just read verse 24 here but in verse 24 chapter 1 Peter quotes this very verse and from Isaiah all flesh is like a like grass and all its glory like the flower of a grass the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of the Lord remains forever and this is the good news That we preach to you the good news of Jesus Christ. God's salvation from sin through Jesus Christ incarnate guarantees our immortality. Yes, we are mortal. We grow old. Last week I threw out my back and y'all saw me. I was all crooked. This body's breaking down. I have to deal with that. Found out a, few, a couple of weeks ago, I got arthritis in my shoulder. I mean, I, that was a bad day for me. I'm like, I was like, arthritis? What do you mean, arthritis? But the body is breaking down, and and and, and y- it's, a lot of y'all know that, right? Y'all have been telling me that for a while. It's, it's breaking down. This old body break down. It's mortal. But here's the good news. This ain't the end. This is not it. Yeah, we can deal with the arthritis in the shoulder. I can deal with the back being thrown out. I can deal with the, the mortality of this life because I know God's eternal promise. That's the end of it all. And it doesn't end with death. It ends with life. Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know someone who's struggling with their own mortality? Do you know someone who is struggling With the thought of death, share with them the good news of God's eternal promise that overcomes death, overcomes illness, overcomes our mortality and promises us everlasting life. Broadly and boldly proclaim the good news of God's eternal salvation from sin through His incarnation. And finally, broadly and boldly proclaim the good news of God's salvation through Christ Jesus. His salvation through Christ Jesus. We've already talked about this a little bit, but, but notice how he ends here in the last little few lines of, of this section of Scripture. Verses 10 and 11. Notice what he says here. Behold... The Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules. Notice that word. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. Before Jesus Christ. You, you think about that term, Christ. Uh, it's kind of a churchy term. And sometimes we use it as just as a a name for Jesus. His name is Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. But but Christ is really not a name, it's a title. It's a title. Christ is a title. Christ means Messiah. That's what it was in the Old Testament. It was Messiah. It's the anointed one. It's the one who is to come. This is King Jesus. This is the seed that was promised to David. I will give you a seed who will ascend your throne and will rule over my people for all of eternity. I will promise you an eternal kingdom. This is the seed. This is the Christ, the king of the David, the Davidic king who would come and rule and reign over God's people for all of eternity. Jesus is the Christ. The King, the Messiah, the Anointed One. He is Christ Jesus. He is King Jesus. We could actually just replace Christ with King. He is King Jesus. He is King Jesus and He will rule and reign over God's people. His arm rules for Him. But notice this, and His reward is with Him and His recompense Before him, what does it mean his reward is with him? What was Christ's reward for coming and dying on the cross for our sins and being raised again? What was his reward? It is his bride, his church. You see, King Jesus is coming to rule and reign with his church, with his bride with His reward. Oh, praise the Lord for King Jesus who will rule and reign for all of eternity. But not only that, not only does He come as a a ruler, but He also comes as a shepherd. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those who are with young. In one case, Jesus rules with His arm of power. He's a mighty king. But He's also a loving, caring shepherd who loves His sheep. See, He's not a harsh dictator ruling over His church with a heavy fist. No, He is a gentle, loving shepherd who loves you, cares for you. He died for you. And now He guides you on your way. He leads you beside still waters. He brings you nourishment. He, he loves you and cares for you. Declare the good news. Proclaim the good news of God's salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord who is our King And our loving, caring shepherd. Broadly and boldly proclaim the good news of God's salvation through King Jesus. Now let me tell you, if you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus, you've never looked at Him as Savior, you've never submitted to Him as Lord of your life, today, submit to Jesus as Lord. Lord. Make him king over your life. And he will care for you like a loving shepherd. Oh, dear Christian, prepare the way of the Lord by broadly and boldly proclaiming the good news of God's eternal salvation from sin through the incarnate Christ Jesus. Church, that's our mission. That's our mission. We're to proclaim the good news boldly and broadly to all who will hear it. As we enter into the Christmas season, there's so many opportunities to share the love of Christ with others. We did that even Saturday as we brought them here and we did the backpack distribution. We proclaim the good news broadly and boldly to those who are here. And Pray that the Lord converted some hearts. Some of those commitments that were made were a commitment of surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord. And we can praise God and and rejoice. But our mission is not over. Until we draw our last breath, we must boldly and broadly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Take every opportunity. This week, this week, commit to telling just one person about Jesus. And fulfill your call. Man, if you've never trusted in Jesus, I want you to know that God came, took on human flesh for you to live and to die for you in your place. And there is salvation in Christ Jesus if you'll only surrender your life to Him. I invite you today. It's a free gift. God freely gives it. Here here it is. If you'll just receive it. Receive that gift today. Trust in Jesus Christ. Let's uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord we thank you for the good news. We thank you. For the good news of salvation. Yes judgment is coming Lord. Even, Even still. Judgment is coming upon this earth. We feel it coming. We're we're headed towards it at at a rapid pace. But Lord, You have provided the way of salvation by coming, taking on flesh, and living and dying for us. You have provided the way of salvation. And You graciously offer us salvation if we only believe In Jesus, oh Lord, let us confess. If there's anybody who doesn't know Jesus, Lord, let them confess Jesus with their mouth and believe in their heart that he lived and died for them. That he's been raised for them dead so that they may know your salvation. Lord, as all of us Christians, as we take this good news, oh Lord, let us not hide it away. Let us not be silent, but let us boldly and broadly proclaim the good news to all who will hear it. And Lord, may you change hearts and turn people's eyes to see Christ. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.